Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. This is Parallax. And uh, today we are going to talk about a topic that is both ancient and of the moment. And we have with us, as always, our Homeric scholar, our real-life Indiana Jones, Dr. Gary Stickle. Hi, Gary. Hi. How are you doing? Good, good. So today we're talking about something uh, that you brought up to me, uh, an issue that has been in the news recently, and it has to do with the Iliad and the Odyssey. Why don't you tell our listeners what has come up regarding these two works? Well, the uh, problem to me is um, I, I, I got a news item recently that uh, <clears throat> excuse me uh, said that uh, two teachers, I believe both in Massachusetts, have censored the Odyssey and removed it from their school's curriculum. And, so why why did they do that? Uh, it wasn't made clear in the little news piece I read, but they obviously considered unsuitable for children. Um, and uh, and you know one of the women said, "I'm I'm proud to have uh, removed it." And the other one said, uh, "Well, the story the long." The story of Odysseus' long journey home is okay, but the rest of it is trash. If you can imagine somebody saying that about uh, one of the great, uh, if not the greatest, uh, two poems of of, uh, of all time. Well, let's start with both of those points. Let's start with uh, first whether it is in fact inappropriate for children, because there are a couple of areas I think we can explore about these two works. First, actually, let's even go earlier. Tell our listeners about the Iliad and the Odyssey. When were they composed? Who composed them? What are they about? Well, uh, there's um, uh, it, it's always been attributed by the ancient Greeks, <clears throat> modern Greeks, that these two epic poems, the Iliad and Odyssey, were written by uh, a man called Homer. And uh, we know very little about him. There's been different, uh, you know, claims on his birth and presence, like the island of Chios and Greece and stuff like that, but uh, very little concrete information. Um, so Homer is, uh, we know throughout, he's one of the most famous names in uh, history. So Homer is credited with it. There is some issue as to whether there was a Homer, whether he existed or not, if I'm not mistaken, correct? But that's yeah. who is credited with the work. What's your opinion on whether he existed or not? Yeah, that's that's called the Homeric question about whether he existed or not. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've, I've seen these claims that uh, the two different books had to be authored by different people because they're different. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, a genius can uh, author different books with different subjects in uh, different ways. Um, 
I, I see enough similarity between the two books that I think it was just one genius that I call Homer in lack, lack of a better term. Um, but the thing is, these two epics, the Iliad, which is a story of the Trojan War, tragic Trojan War, as it turns out, and the Odyssey, the story of Odysseus, 10 year long voyage home after, after he helped conquer Troy, um, are the two oldest books of Western European civilization. There's nothing older, and yet they are, you know, they are extremely sophisticated. How old again? When were they composed? When do we believe? Well, that's that's been controversial too. Um, they're saying scholars say either seventh or eighth century BC. So I, I tend to nearly, think nearly three thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah, nearly three thousand years ago. And that's why I'm saying that. Uh, these epic poems have inspired people for almost 3,000 years. And who are these teachers to try to deprive children of these fantastic classics that are so meaningful as we can discuss? Well, let, we'll get to the history and the inspiration. But let's again, if you can give, the, give us a quick synopsis of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, just start there and then we can look at a couple of other things about it before we get to the books that were works, all the great works inspired by it? Well, the Iliad is 16,000 lines of verse. Um, and uh, it's the story of the Trojan War. And it really focuses on uh, the main Greek hero, Achilles, um, and his interaction with the high king that led the Greeks to Troy, Agamemnon of Mycenae. Uh, it, it, the epic starts out with a controversy between them, and uh, you know, Agamemnon disrespects Achilles, so he goes off and sulks in his <clears throat> in his tent and refuses to fight. And in the Homeric tradition, if your hero refuses to fight, you lose on the battlefield. It doesn't matter how many men you have. If your hero doesn't fight, you lose. Mm -hmm. So eventually the story has um, uh, Achilles' best friend and maybe lover, Patroclus, um, takes Achilles' armor because the Greeks are attacking the ships and threatening to burn the ships and so on. I mean the Trojans, excuse me. They're attacking the Greek ships. Um so uh, Patroclus goes out in Achilles' armor, and when, when the Greeks see Achilles' armor, they think it's Achilles, they get inspired. They drive back Hector and the, and the Trojans into the walls of Troy. Um, but then uh, Hector winds up killing Patroclus. And um, so when Achilles finds out about this, he goes into a complete rage and it's even called the Rage of Achilles. And he um, rejoins the battle to seek vengeance. And finally, at the, at the uh, end of the Iliad, almost at the end, um, he has a faithful duel with uh, Hector, the, chief, the son of uh, the king and queen of Troy, and also the chief defender of Troy, a faithful duel uh, in front of the gates of Troy and Achilles, of course, who is the greatest warrior, wins. And uh, 
but then he disrespects uh, uh, Hector by stripping him naked and dragging him behind his chariot in the dust around the walls of Troy. Um, okay, so we, we have this great, uh, I guess the centerpiece of that, of the Iliad is Achilles, and the, of course this battle in the Trojan War, and we get the story of the Trojan horse and, of course, the, the judgment of Paris that you talked about. Um, that is our Iliad, uh, and we take a lot from that. What happens, if you, we could just, just for time's sake, what happens in the Odyssey? What is that part about? Yeah, I just want to finish up the Iliad very briefly. Um, the thing is, I thought as a kid when I read it for the first time that it was going to end with the glorious capture of Troy. The Iliad does not end with that. It ends with the tragedy of Troy. It ends with mm-hmm. King Priam, uh, his wife Hecuba, and these four women, including Helen of Troy, uh, mourning the death of Hector. So it ends on with the tragedy of war. So it can be viewed as an anti-war epic, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's so sophisticated, that's why I call it the greatest story of uh, war ever written. The Odyssey is... Uh, uh, Interesting, the Trojan War supposedly took 10 years, according to Homer. And the Odyssey is about King Odysseus, who is uh, really from a minor kingdom on the uh, western side of Greece, from an island called Ithaca. Um, But he is renowned for his craftiness. Hello? I'm here, I'm here, Gary. I'm listening. I'm sorry, I thought I lost you. No. Um, and uh, he's, he's called Clever Crafty Odysseus. That's Homer's epithet, two-word descriptors of, uh, of Odysseus. Uh, and he's the one that came up with the idea of the Trojan horse, which allowed the Greeks to capture Troy, even though they did it by uh, you know stealth. And this underscores the fact that Odysseus, uh, you know, is a complicated character. He, he will lie, steal, cheat. And uh, in the case of Trojan horse, you know, sneak his men into Troy dishonorably in order to capture the city. Um, But anyhow, one of the themes of the Odyssey is hubris or, you know, being egotistical. And so Odysseus, uh, after that happens, he, uh, he says that his achievement is like that of a god. And this, uh, you don't do that in ancient Greek uh, mythology. I mean, if you say that you're the same as a god, the gods come down on you, you know, big time. And so that's the story of the Odyssey is uh, Zeus and Poseidon, you know, uh, uh, try to uh, hurt Odysseus in every way they can. And he's forced on a 10 year long voyage home where he meets up with gods and monsters and goddesses, uh, which keep him from getting home. But he definitely finally gets home and has a very uh, emotional reunion with his wife and Queen Penelope, who fantastically has waited for him for 20 years, never giving up hope that he would get back to her as he promised. That's the story. So these two works, what's interesting about them to me is that um, when I look at modern filmmaking and I look at the modern action film, my theory is that 
the modern action film was heir to the Iliad and not the Odyssey. And by that, I mean, the modern action film was more focused on the brawn and the fight and the bromance and the buddies and all that stuff, as opposed to, to its detriment, the journey of an interesting action hero. You get that sometimes, that it's not the norm. And particularly the female element that's in the story of the Odyssey, the goddesses, the longing, the strong, you know, uh, female presence in that. And so to its detriment, I think Hollywood has decided to follow the path of the Iliad rather than the Odyssey. But it just points out that, in my opinion, these two works are still incredibly relevant in today's world. And just to pick up on that point, Gary, could you tell us about some of the works that have been influenced by the Iliad and the Odyssey? Yes, I mean, I, I consider the Odyssey, um, the Iliad to be the greatest story of war ever written, and I consider the Odyssey the greatest action-adventure story ever written and the most influential one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, those two works by Homer, 16,000 lines for the Iliad, 12,000 lines of poetry for the Odyssey, uh, inspired ancient people and, and, and modern people. You know, for example... The, the Roman poet Virgil uh, was was the leading poet of ancient Rome. Uh, okay, and uh, he had he wanted Virgil to compose a poem that would be the national epic of ancient Rome, just like the Iliad became the national epic of ancient Greece. And that epic was called. The, the Aeneid. Absolutely. I happen to be a very big fan of the Aeneid. That is my favorite epic poem. Now, okay, inter- so. Inter- inter- mm-hmm. Interestingly, Virgil completely copied Homer in, in uh, the Aeneid. The Aeneid is the story of Prince Aeneas, who is mentioned in the Iliad, uh, having him escape from Troy, uh, quote, with thousands of Trojans. And then uh, they build a fleet and they sail around the Mediterranean like uh, Odysseus did. And the, so the first half of the Aeneid is like the Odyssey. I think there's even encounters with the uh, Cyclops and the Sirens. Um, and the latter half is like the Iliad with all these wars and fighting culminating with a faithful duel between Aeneas and Turnus, the leading warrior of the Latins that they encounter. And so this, uh, the uh, Aeneid became the national epic of ancient Rome, and uh, and it was like an origin story. And so the Romans thought that they were descended from the Trojans in that regard. And as we have discussed and debated, the jury is still out on that one. So yeah. um, it's it's interesting because I think that they're in all of the major great ancient works I've encountered, there is the stuff of history in them that has often been dismissed or laughed at or pushed aside. And many things we find out later, there was a truth to them. So who knows what we may find out from the Aeneid, that masterwork by the great Roman civilization. So what else do we have, Gary, that was well, inspired then, by? Then you go to the uh, Renaissance, you have Dante, what is in famous Inferno. Mm-hmm. And in the first circle of hell, as he put it, um, he has a, a sequence um, 
but uh, that includes you know virtuous uh, men and uh, and you know classical poets. So he has uh, Ovid or Ovid, mm -hmm. Lucan and Horace, all Roman poets, and Homer. But to show Dante's opinion of him, he says, but Homer soars above the rest like an eagle. Mm. Now that was his characterization of, of Homer. And then you go to the 20th century and uh, Homer inspired the famous writer, James Joyce, who wrote a novel called Ulysses. Mm -hmm. uh, Ulysses being the preferred ancient Roman name for Odysseus. Um, and uh, the novel, instead of being a 10 year long, uh, you know, episodic uh, story um, is one day long. But uh, Joyce has a, some of the same characters in the novel, like Penelope, the wife and queen of uh, Odysseus, and Telemachus, who in the Odyssey was the son of Odysseus and Penelope. Mm -hmm. So some have considered Ulysses to be the greatest novel of the 20th century, some scholars or critics or whatever. Um, and uh, but anyhow, the, the inspiration coming from Homer is far ranging and, and, and uh, in many ways, you know, for example, there are there uh, you have cities named after Ithaca, New York, mm -hmm. universities, Ithaca, uh, college uh you have homer alaska you know <laughs> right it goes on and on and we have actual places you know named uh, after homerica elements um so let's let's talk now about that this work has been with us for three thousand years and nearly three thousand years and it has inspired artists how was how has it been ta taught throughout the ages do you know much of like even even just in your own schooling experience how has the iliad and how has the odyssey been used to instruct students to inspire them well and and my education I, I wasn't exposed to it which i think is a mistake um but um my parents when i was a little kid bought me a beautiful illustrated edition of the iliad odyssey for children beautifully illustrated by these two uh husband and wife, uh, you know, uh, Norwegians, I believe they were, the Provincians. I still have the book. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I decided when I was pretty young to read both, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and I was just fascinated. So I've read them again and again and again throughout all the years. Um, so you said you weren't taught it in school? I was not. Now, that's interesting. They So I don't... I find that odd because it was taught obviously in history to me, and it was also taught in English class as well. Um, so I'm surprised that this work was not in. Did they teach any classical works in the school where you went? or how, Not how? really. I was in a very provincial high school in Mojave, California, a small little town uh, on the desert, you know. And so none, none of the class. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, uh, so, because I know, I, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I got some of the classical works when I took a English literature course at uh, 
Antelope Valley College. It's called Junior College at the time in Lancaster. Um, But not properly. Uh, And I understand in LA area that uh, I think it's high schoolers uh, have to read the Odyssey or something like this. Uh, That's good. Good. And I think it's good, but I've, I've had several high schoolers tell me that you know they they didn't get it they didn't particularly like it the way it's presented to them but uh as i told you before i have this i wrote a play on the actually i wrote a play about the uh, iliad and the odyssey uh, for children which i intend to illustrate i'm almost finished with my illustrations for the odyssey and i'm gonna do a children's book on the odyssey for my illustrations but i had to write the text and I used that text to, uh, I was encouraged to, to uh, create a play out of that, which I did. And children uh, up to high school loved the play. And I had uh, many of them tell me they, they finally understand the story uh, because of the play and they really liked it. They really loved it. That's really, that's really wonderful. I know that the, I mean, throughout the ages, all the great, writers that we know of i mean shakespeare i know certainly but later on this was part of the schooling system to teach these classical works it had been part of the british system and then later part of the american system so it is unfortunate if that's not there which actually brings us to our point so these two teachers said that it should not be taught in schools let's address their first point the first point that was made was that it was inappropriate for children. Could you talk to that? Is it inappropriate? Should kids not be reading this? I I totally disagree. I think children should read it because people have been inspired by these stories for 3000 years and there's themes running in them. You know, it's just like in the Iliad, you have uh, emphasized themes of what it is to be a hero, but what it is to uh, suffer tragedy, which is what happens at the end of the Iliad. Um, great themes. In other words, it's the tragedy of war that Homer uh, emphasizes at the end, not the glory of war, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, different warriors throughout the, the piece, I mean, Achilles, Ajax, and Diomedes, and on the Greek side, you know, H- Hector and his brothers, including uh, uh, Prince Paris that caused the war, um, they have uh, you know moments of bravery and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and uh, and, and the, uh, their behavior became part of the ethos of ancient Greeks that they looked up to this heroic model that uh, Homer uh, established. Right. So this, so in in such, you're saying that that is a good, they're good models of action and behavior for children. And also, since it's not glorifying war, it is cautionary as well. Yeah, it points out the tragedy of war. Why would a teacher say it's inappropriate then? I mean, would that be a misreading of it? Do you think of this uh, as to, to surmise? But I don't know. Maybe <clears throat> it's not really explicit in the Odyssey, but maybe they object to Odysseus having sexual liaisons with uh, 
you know, goddesses like Calypso. Um, but uh, Well, you can always, as a teacher, not teach certain parts of the text. I mean, I know that in school, it's not as if we read an entire, you know, piece. We would read excerpts from it or sections of any particular piece. And that's what we focused on. That's what was taught. And then the student could, on her or his own, go and then read further and look further into that. Yeah. So, um, let's go to the second part. The but, second, but the thing. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say let's go to the second part. The argument that it is trash. It is trash. What do you think about that? Well, that that argument is trash. I mean, uh, it, it, the Odyssey is a fantastic uh, piece of literature, which has inspired people, like I said, for three thousand years, and it has all these uh, salient themes. Uh, a major one is homecoming, uh, and Greek is uh, nostos, mm-hmm. um, meaning that Odysseus uh, is hell bent on getting home. No matter how many gods and monsters he has to go through, he's going to get home to his beautiful wife and queen Penelope. Mm-hmm. That's a great theme, you know. And uh, I remember there was a, a famous. Uh, Poet who said, and I'm blanking on his name, uh, who said, uh, "We sh- we shall all go out and 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 voyage or something like this, but we shall all come home again and know it for the first time." Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what Odysseus does. He's a changed person by the time he gets home. So homecoming is a major theme. Another theme is hospitality, which is called Xenia. In, in Greek. Mm-hmm. And what this is, uh, in Bronze Age Greece, uh, they didn't have hotels and stuff like that. So <clears throat> a traveler, especially if he's an aristocrat, goes to a, you know, a, a palace of a king and asks, you know, for, uh, you know, to be taken in, to have a room and stuff. And, uh, and, Get this, the ruler, you know, by by tradition here, by Zania, uh, must take him in, put him up, feed him, you know, and 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 he doesn't ask his identity until after dinner, you know, after the guy's been housed and fed and wine and dined, uh, then he finally will ask him who he is. Hmm. That's uh, interesting. It's so, really interesting, actually. Yeah, it is. So there's a theme of hospitality there, which is really great. That we need to be hospitable to people, and we need to take people in without prejudging and that sort of thing. I think that's great. Um, and um, there's another theme of uh, hubris, uh, like I mentioned earlier, uh, egotistical behavior that Odysseus expresses, and um, and he's punished for it. And then uh, in the uh, sequence with the Cyclops, the giant one-eyed monster, Odysseus uh, uses a hubris of the Cyclops to defeat him. And uh, and so he, he blinds the Cyclops very cleverly so that the Cyclops will open this gigantic uh, stone door that has sealed him in his cave and allow Odysseus and his men to escape. Again, you know, the theme of it's wrong to have who breathes is brought out. And then, you know, there's ongoing 
themes of uh, suffering and survival, which Odysseus does for 10 years. Um, and, um, okay. You know, there's, um, what so about the quality of the work? What about the quality of it? So there are great themes. Um, what about the quality of the writing, the quality of the creation? Tell us a little bit about what you think of that. Well, uh, Homer's actually been criticized by some critics as being too straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's a, a, a fault. I think I think it's an asset. Um, you know, for example, you know, Shakespeare was very flowery in his wording and his speeches and that stuff like that. Very elaborate. You know, the speech was very elaborated. Um, and I, I love Shakespeare, and that, but it's just a different genre than Homer. Homer's direct. Oh. Well, it's interesting. Shakespeare, just as someone who also loves Shakespeare, he can be flowery. He can also have, you know, he's, it's a different medium because he's, it's a stage play. So yeah, for him, obviously the soliloquies can be flowery and sometimes they can be very just sparse, but Homer, it seems, I mean, one of the things that we're dealing with that we're not dealing with with Shakespeare is Shakespeare is we speak English. That's our native tongue. Homer is in ancient Greek and it's translated and it's coming down to us through translations. You had talked about that to me many times uh, about certain translations you don't like uh, in terms of the way some of the translators uh, convey the language and narrative of Homer. So I think, uh, you know, to me, looking at his, you know, opening lines, tell me, oh, or sing in me. I mean, for example, I see a translation, tell me, O muse, but I like the one, sing in me, O goddess of the man of many turns. That sort of thing is really flows to me. But it's all dependent on the translation you get. But I think we'd all agree that no matter the translation, it's pretty hard to ruin Homer. He's that good a writer. He was that good a writer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you're talking about is there's been a... uh... A fairly recent translation by this British uh, woman scholar, uh, Emily Wilson. Um, and uh, and translating the first line of the Odyssey, which, as you just said, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned twists and turns in the thing. And mm-hmm. so the opening lines of of the Odyssey is sing to me of the man muse, the man of twists and turns, driven time and again off course once he had plundered the hallowed heights of Troy. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a uh, translation by Robert Bagels, which is very popular. Um, and then, but the one that scholars seem to like and I like is by Richmond Lattimore. Mm-hmm. And he says, his, his here's his translation of the same lines. Tell me, muse, of the man of many ways, emphasize that phrase, many ways, who was driven far journeys after he sacked Troy's sacred citadel. So um, the thing is, is uh, Emily Wilson translated the word that's been translated as uh, twists and turns, uh, as she translated as complicated instead of twists and turns, or many mm-hmm. ways. And um, the word is polyptropos. Well, poly means, you know, like uh, polygamy or, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
polyandrous and you know uh, polygon you know all the words using ancient greek uh, poly it means many it doesn't mean complicated it means many mm-hmm. and tropos means like you know turns or you know and so in other words what it's trying to say is odysseus had many uh, adventures on his way back and uh and twist like like plot twist if you will where he was uh, you know held up jailed in the cyclops cave kept as a as a, a virtual prisoner on the island of Calypso for seven years you know stuff like that just uh, a, an example of how well sketched out this characters uh, the characters in this work are yeah that's that's a good point because the thing is um you know the recent and very, very popular TV series, Game of Thrones, um, who, which, uh, by the way, had a major character, this Queen Circe, and Circe is derived from the Odyssey, the witch goddess in the Odyssey is named Circe. Um, As is the, and she is our matron goddess of this show, 34 Circe, so yes. Yes. And um, so... Um, anyhow, she, uh, you know, mis- mistranslated in my book the word polyptropos. And uh, it's very important that we get these words right and that the translations are <clears throat> accurate to try to convey as closely as possible what, what Homer had in mind. Well, let's, let's take this as a, a good place to kind of end on. Because these, you know, we've sort of covered the language, the usage, and the importance of it. And I think for this, let's do something we normally do on our other program, which is to say one more thing. To ask you to give me one more thing, if you would, that you would like to say and leave our listeners with about this subject. Well, that to me, the Odyssey, like I said, it's greatest action adventure story ever written, the most inspirational one. And it's about the hero's journey. And I think that we all have our own journeys. We all are born. We all go out on the, on the great sea of life. We meet up with our own gods and monsters in various ways, but we all come home again. And that's what the Odyssey beautifully, beautifully uh, conveys. Wonderful, wonderful. And I'll just give my one more thing which is that uh, these great classical works are things that we should honor and we should appreciate. Just because something is from long ago doesn't mean it loses its value. In fact, in many ways, it connects us and shows us how humanity has been very much the same. We have so much in common with ancient people. We are one species, one group, and it's good to know that, that no matter what the era there is a certain level of soul to the human condition and that stays unchanged throughout the ages. That's wonderful. So on that note, I would like to thank Dr. Gary Stickle for joining us today. Thank you. There's your crowd of adoring fans. And (laughs) thank you all for listening. This has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax. We've been talking about the importance of the Odyssey. Thank you for joining us, the Odyssey and the Iliad, and why it should be continue to be taught in schools. Thank you.